Lovely, thank you. Shall I, um, this is part of your, your series. I, I think you're looking at the book of Hosea, is that right? I'm so glad you said that, and I, I wasn't completely, completely wrong. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit from Hosea at the end of chapter 11, so from 11 verse 12 through to chapter 12 and verse 7. Oh, thank you. That would be useful. Um, and actually, we're, we're due to look at, at two chapters tonight, so we'll be here sometime. Ephraim, that's uh, a way of talking about the northern kingdom, a way of talking about the kingdom of Israel. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies. This is God speaking. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit. And Judah, the southern kingdom, is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. The Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. But you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. The merchants use dishonest scales. They love to defraud. Ephraim boasts, I'm very rich. I become wealthy with all my wealth. They will not find in me any iniquity or sin. Very good. Yes, in his absence, very many thanks to Henry for, uh, for the invitation. And it really is lovely for me to be, to be here. Every now and then, I am allowed out to play. So it's uh, really very nice for me to be, to be here with you tonight. Thank you very much. Um, like Adrian, I feel that uh, with, this, with this title, um, it could be something of a long talk, learning from past failures. I think, golly, I could uh, give you lots of uh, examples of, of that for me. Um, here's one or two from other, other people. Uh, Goethe said this, by seeking and blundering, we learn. Isn't that good? By seeking and blundering, we learn. Uh, here's another one from uh, Richard Branson. You don't learn to walk by following rules. You learn by doing and by falling over. That's actually rather true, isn't it, actually? How do we learn? You watch a baby learn to walk, and the baby learns by falling over, and we should add, and by getting up and trying again. So I think we're actually, we're on, thanks to Henry, we're onto something very profound here. Uh, we learn most through our failures. Uh, we'd all love to have sort of mountaintop experiences, wouldn't we? But actually, where does the growth happen? It doesn't happen on the mountaintops, it happens in the valleys. And I don't know if you would think this is true for you, it's actually through the more difficult times of our lives that we grow the most. When everything's going well, everything goes well, and we tend not to reflect. But actually, when things go badly, when we struggle, that's where the power for change comes. Here's another one. This is from a man called Frank Sonnenberg, who I must confess I haven't heard of. Smart people do stupid things. Stupid people don't learn from them. <laughs> and of course, actually, that's, that's the power. It's not just that we fail, oh goody. It's actually that we fail and we learn from our failures. So how can we reflect today on how can we do that? How not just fail, not just mess up, as we all do, not least your speaker, let me tell you, but how can we learn from those things when they do go wrong? Uh, before the last uh, 
election, Catherine and I went to a hustings in, a, we live in Ealing, and we went to a, a hustings in our local area. And the very first question, it was, uh, it was a tough question, nearly as tough as Adrian's questions, actually. And it, and it was this, um, uh, tell us about your greatest mistake and what you learnt from it. Imagine being landed with that in the middle of a political hustings, in the middle of a, an election campaign. And uh, actually, there were some incredibly honest answers, really touching answers. Uh, but there was a candidate of one party, which will remain nameless, though I think he might have lost his deposit. And, uh, <laughs> and, he, and he thought for a moment, he said, actually, um, I don't think I can think of any mistakes that I have made. He actually said that. But you could feel in the room how you have just reacted. There was a sense of, are you serious? Uh, and also, I think that slight sense of, well, what are you hiding? Because there isn't a person in the world who hasn't made any mistakes. There isn't, I hesitate to say, and Joe Moody's prophetic gift would not be necessary for me to say, there isn't a person in this room who also has not made some mistakes. It's interesting, in, in church planting training, which is my, my job, I had an interesting conversation with, with Rick Thorpe, my boss, the other day, and all the feedback we have is uh, in our training is, please don't tell us about how things are brilliant, tell us when things go wrong, because that's what we want to hear, that's what we want to learn from. And I thought that was very, very interesting. Here's some examples of uh, people who have, uh, have learned. Um, I think last time I was here, I had a cricketing analogy. I, I don't know why, because last time you told me no one here likes cricket, and I've done it to you again. I'm really sorry. Uh, does anyone know who that man is? That is Alex Stewart. Yes, well done. Thank you, Alex Stewart. Uh, he used to play for, for Surrey and then for England. I think he might have captained England, actually. Uh, when he first started playing test cricket, um, he got out an awful lot, be just because the bowling was better. It was faster and it was tighter. And Alex Stewart used to play test cricket the way he played counter cricket, which was basically have a, have a go, at, have a thrash at something uh, which is there. And of course the bowling was coming through faster and it was closer to him, so he just used to get a nick and he would be, be caught behind. Uh, but he said, I learned from my mistakes. And actually he went on, when he retired, he was England's second highest run scorer ever and the most capped player for England ever. I learned from my mistakes. Here's another one. Um, anyone know who this, this lady is? Her name is Margaret Wheatley, or Meg Wheatley. She was born in 1944. She's an American writer and management consultant, and she studies organizational behavior. Are you falling asleep at this point? Uh, she founded something actually called the Bacana Institute, you may have heard. It's a really, really interesting project because what the Bacana Institute does is marry the natural sciences to business management. So business management is all about, you know, you do this and you do that, you have systems and processes and procedures and measurements, all very important. And Meg Wheatley applied to that, what happens to, to biological organisms? How do biological organisms grow? What if organizations in the business world applied the same rules? What would, what would happen? And basically, she said, in, in, the, in the natural world, the biological world, the basic rule is chaos. It looks like chaos. Things go wrong all the time. And organisms learn to adapt to their new surroundings by means of that process. 
not through rules and systems, by actually experimenting, adapting, learning from experience uh, along the way. And here are a couple of quotes from her. Change always involves a dark night when everything falls apart. Yet if this period of dissolution is used to create new meaning, then chaos ends and new order emerges. It's interesting is that she's saying you need the period of disillusion. You need the dark night if you are going to grow and change. That's true for businesses as much as it is for organizations and ourselves as individuals. Another one, the things we fear most in organizations, fluctuations, disturbances, imbalance, are the primary sources of creativity. And I wonder if that's true of our lives as well. The very things we try and organize out of our lives may be the very things we need to generate creativity and change and something new within us. Um, this afternoon, I, I hope it's going to be a hopeful talk. Uh, to be honest, Hosea chapter 12 and 13, that it's quite fierce. Uh, and we must take that on the chin. But uh, I don't want us to get bogged down in the sense of we're all failures. Can we take that for granted? Does anyone think that doesn't apply to them, like this esteemed candidate at the hustings? Um, let's assume that that is the case, and let's focus on how, how can we learn from that? How can we move on? So I hope that that brings encouragement to us. Hosea himself, um, eighth century prophet, mostly to the, to the northern kingdom, calls it occasionally Israel, occasionally Ephraim, occasionally Jacob. Um, he does mention the, the southern kingdom uh, as well. What's going on is, uh, particularly in the northern kingdom, um, they are in real trouble politically. Economically, actually, they're doing very well. It's a time of richness and prosperity in society, uh, but spiritually and socially, it's not, it's not great. Um, and to help themselves, they make uh, an alliance with the superpower of the day, Assyria. Uh, but there's another superpower, Egypt, floating around, and they try and flirt with Egypt as well as having an alliance with Assyria. Uh, the book itself, I know you've been working through it, chapters one to three, they are about Hosea's very troubled marriage. Uh, you will remember that God says, go, go and marry this, this woman who will be unfaithful to you. He loves her, but she's going to be unfaithful to you. Um, and then he says, um, divorce her. And then he says, go and engage with her again. And this is a, a picture of how God feels about the northern kingdom. He feels that there is unfaithfulness. It's a powerful image, isn't it? And God feels hurt and betrayed and let down by, by this. But he also says, I will stick by you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm committed to you. The, the middle of the book, the long middle, chapters 4 to 11, um, Hosea comes along and, and he, he almost prophesies as if it's a court case. He's bringing a case. He's prosecuting them. So it's pretty intense, accusation after accusation after accusation. Then there's this extraordinary moment in, in chapter 11, which is really the heart of the book in many ways, where uh, God just suddenly bursts out. He says, I cannot abandon you. I cannot leave you. Uh, my heart is turned over within me with compassion. I cannot let you go. It's almost as if there's lots of advice of, just give up on her. She's no good. You'll never be happy with her. Cut your losses. Move on. And God says, never. That's rather good, isn't it? That's how God feels about you. That's, that's the context in which we're thinking about learning from our past failures. God says, I will never abandon you. I will stay with you. I will stay with you. 
even though you have broken my heart. I'm not letting you go. And then we're into our, our period where we're back in an indictment zone, uh, prophecy after prophecy, oracle after oracle of, of judgment. But the book ends with hope. Chapter 14, out of a clear blue sky, suddenly there's prophecies that the kingdom will be restored and wonderful, actually wonderful things are going to happen. Uh, many of which only make sense in the light of the New Testament. I think Hosea's first hearers, they must have thought, what is going on? I don't understand that at all. Very good. Um, let's get cracking then with, uh, with chapter 12, if we may. I've called this one uh, Learning from Israel's Story. As I say, all, it, all is not well in the passage I, I read out. And, the, and I think what this particular part of the book is, is getting at is that here is a core issue which is really bugging God about Israel, is that they lie all the time. They lie with him. So verse, verse 12, uh, Judah is unruly. Uh, here we are. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, the house of Israel with deceit. So they're deceitful with God. They say one thing, but they do another. They say, we're doing fine, we're doing this, and they're, they're not. Um, and then with their allies, this is uh, this business of, you know, they say with Assyria, we're with you. And they say with Egypt, would you like some olive oil? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, we're with you. And this doesn't go down well with either Assyria or Egypt, and it will have severe repercussions. And then verse 7, uh, the merchants use dishonest scales. They love to defraud. In other words, there's deception in business as, as well. So I think God is putting his finger on in at every level, your personal relationships, your business life, your political life. It's characterized by, th by this whole thing that, that you're not people of your word. You say one thing and you do another thing. You make promises and you, and you break them. And then interestingly, and I wonder if this will help us as we think about learning from our past failures, uh, he then starts, Hosea, that is, starts to tell the story of, of Jacob. So from, from verse 2, the Lord has a charge to bring against Jacob. He will punish Jacob according to his ways, repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. And on he goes. Uh, do you remember the story of Jacob? You may have come across the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. And Jacob... Even the name means deceiver. And everything about Jacob is, uh, I, if you look at him a bit charitably, he was a wheeler dealer. He had an eye to the main chance. If you're less charitable, he was always on the make. He was always lying and cheating. Cheated his brother out of his inheritance. He deceived his father. He struggled with um, his brother-in-law, uh, Laban. The, the same behavior is characterized throughout. So you see what Hosea is, is doing. He's saying, um, here, over here, can we, can we agree that, that you've got a real problem with honesty and integrity? Uh, are you going to man up and say, yes, that's us? That's us. If so, um, have you ever come across anyone in your history who is like that? Have you thought about Jacob? Oh, yes, you say. And then he really goes through the story of Jacob, how he, he struggled with God. And this is what happens with, with Jacob. Do you remember that he's, he's, on, a, he's on a long journey? And, um, and then this, this strange, mysterious figure, Hosea calls it an angel. Genesis actually says it, it's the Lord himself. Some people think this was, how's this for a thought? This was Jesus before the days of the incarnation. Jesus came down, and this strange image wrestles they have a wrestling match. It goes on all night. 
And uh, in the end, the Lord touches Jacob's hip, dislocate the hip, and that's, that's the end of the fight, fight. But even then, Jacob is saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. If you bless me, I'll let you go. And, and he does. That's the end of it. And that, this is a key turning point. And um, it becomes defining for Jacob in his life. And he becomes to realize that actually in this strange figure, he did nothing less than wrestle with God him, himself. And then Hosea goes on. He says, uh, Jacob found the Lord at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord or God Almighty, the Lord is his name. That actually comes earlier in his story. It's interesting. But he ends up by saying that, um, that Jacob, through all his deception, he did actually find God and was found by, by God. Um, he's saying to Israel, see yourself in the story of Jacob. He was like you, had a problem with honesty and integrity. He found himself in this mysterious struggle with God. And actually it led to blessing and change for him. And then verse 6, here's the point of the sermon. This is, I think it's basically a sermon. Hosea says, but you, you think this is about Jacob. It's not about Jacob. It's about you. But you must return to your God. This is how we read the Bible. This is how we read the stories of Scripture. This is how we learn from the great heroes who've gone before with all their faults. Do what they did. Return to God. That's what will happen. Uh, just a, just a, a thought. Do you have any figures in the Bible that you really associate with? Do you read, do, do you have kind, are we allowed to have favorites in the Bible, do you think? I, I hope so. Uh, and uh, it might be worth reflecting, why am I drawn to this particular person as opposed to that particular person? And it, and it might be um, Abraham. Um, do you remember Abraham kept taking matters into his own hands, even though he's called the father of faith, I think Abraham found it really difficult to believe. He found it hard to trust God when the circumstances didn't seem to change, and he would try and change the circumstances to try and kind of force God's hand. Does that ring a bell? Isn't the Bible marvelous? It's so honest. Um, or it, um, it might be Moses, one of the great, great leaders of the faith. Um, Shall we say he was slightly prone to overwork? Nearly killed him. Even in the work of God, it nearly killed him. Does that ring a bell for you? Uh, what about David, the great king, the great, the great king, the one who loved God, who wrote so many psalms, who, who led the kingdom into, into victory, did marvelous, marvelous things, and committed adultery? Does that ring bells for you? Just enormous spiritual success, but also there's an area of perhaps shame and struggle, not least around sexuality and relationships. That's in the Bible. I think that's so encouraging because that's us. It's so honest with us. Uh, New Testament, we're Peter, who's your favorite disciple? Does anyone like Peter? We love Peter. He's just there. He opens his mouth before he thinks, and you know, but he's brave, and he plows on, and he does, does very great things. Um, or John, a bit more profound, reflective, thoughtful, prayerful, kind of mysterious. What about Stephen? Thank you. Well, Stephen is an interesting man. Stephen is another one. Timothy is my favorite, I have to say. 
Um, Timothy was, uh, was a timid disciple, and Paul encourages him. And anyway, the, the point is to say, um, when it comes to learning from our past failures, it might be a really good idea to say, can I find the patterns of behavior which I struggle with in people in the Bible and follow their story, track their story, and find out where it ends? That might be a good, a good plan. Okay, so let's, um, let's try a little bit more about this. Um, <laughs> I hope this amuses you, but this is uh, learning from past failures. I, I, my wife, Catherine, has done all the pictures, and I said to her, can you find a picture of W.H. Smith? And uh, by W.H. Smith, I meant the man who was uh, alive. <laughs> and here is, here is W.H. Smith. But it, it's, it's worse, actually, because I got the story completely wrong. It should have it been Selfridges. But there, there we are. Uh, and the story is, um, Gordon Selfridge was the, the owner of Selfridges, and, uh, and he had an assistant, a man called Mr. Gibson, who was known to everyone as, as Gibbo. And uh, the phone rang, and uh, Gibbo answered it, and the man on the phone said, I want to speak to, to Mr. Selfridge. And so Gibbo said to, to Gordon Selfridge, there's a man on the phone here. And, uh, and Selfridge said to him, tell him I'm not here. And uh, Gibbo took the phone, and handed it to his boss and said, you tell him you're not here. So they had a conversation, put the phone down, and of course, Gordon Selfridge was absolutely livid. I told you to say I wasn't here. And Gibbo's reply is absolutely amazing. I refused because if I can lie for you, I can lie to you, and I will never lie to you. Isn't that powerful? And of course, Gibbo then became a very trusted person in Gordon Selfridge's thing. Um, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I just wonder, does anyone here struggle with being economical with the truth, telling white lies, just not saying things exactly as they are? It's everywhere, isn't it? There's even a show, Would I Lie to You?, which I have to say we love as a, as a family. Um, if we do struggle with, with diston dishonesty, um, take an honesty inventory. Just try and listen to yourself talking. And, and don't do it with a sense of, you know, I'm really going to do a downer on myself. Just, this is just almost an objective thing. Hear yourself talking. Um, are you exaggerating? Um, I, I found myself doing it the other day. I was telling a story about as we're in coronavirus and, you know, some of us aren't shaking hands and we're doing the elbow bump. And, uh, and uh, have you seen, is it called the Wuhan shake, where you, where you kick, kick feet like that? And, and I told this story how, how I'd done that, and I'd nearly lost my balance and fallen over. And I thought, this was so amusing. And I reflected on this afterwards, and um, it wasn't true. I didn't fall over. Why did I do that? Why did I make that up? I didn't have to make that up. It was just for a good story, to make someone laugh, maybe to make someone lie to me. It's a silly example. But preparing this sermon, I thought, oh, <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, used to, I had the privilege of working at Holy Trinity Brompton with, with Sandy Miller, and, uh, who was the vicar then. And I remember Sandy saying to me once, I never say anything behind someone's back that I would not say to their face. And that really struck with, stuck with me. Okay, that's, um, let's, have, let's call that half-time. Um, do you want to just sort of chat to your, to your neighbours for a bit? And uh, can I suggest, um, uh, how, how about this? Here's a question for you to discuss. How would you encourage someone to learn from a failure? So a friend comes to you and says, 
I just need to tell you, I've had this failure, and it doesn't matter what kind of failure it is, um, how would you encourage them to, to get past that, to recover from that? And think about how, how might they be feeling about this? How can you help them with that? How can you give them courage and confidence to, to give things another go? You're happy to do that? Chat, chat with someone near you just for um, two or three minutes. Um, how would you encourage someone to learn from a failure? Welcome back. Welcome back after the break. Um, it's very civilized having these teas and coffees, and it's really lovely, isn't it? Um, any wisdom? I always think that this is the best bit of, uh, of sermons, because there will be so much wisdom in, in the room, and uh, unless we preachers are careful, it stays up here rather than rooted in people's lives. So um, any, anyone got any, any advice, anything that they're happy to, to pass on? Adrian. Triggers. Did you hear that? Looking at the triggers, why did I do this? I think that's wise, isn't it? Because unless we, I guess, unless we know that, then the chances are the same thing happens and we do the same thing. We won't learn unless we identify what's going on. Thank you so much. And anyone else got any, any wisdom? Listening. Thank you so much. I thought there was a voice of an angel. I couldn't see you. And suddenly this voice came, <laughs> listening. I thought... Yes, Lord, yes, I'm listening, I'm listening. Um, well, I think that's so important, is that particularly if someone feels, I have failed. I mean, that, that's, that's not easy, is it? And, and then actually to, rather than rushing in with advice, actually just to listen, and listen carefully as to what they're really saying, what they're feeling, what lies behind that. Thank you very much. Any, anything else? Thank you, encouragement, that's so important. Yes. I'm going to say there are two there. So en encouragement, um, but also there will be a future. To give, to give hope, can we call that? Oh, yeah, I think so. That uh, it went last. Thank you very much. Yes. From hearing from God's perspective. Thank you very much. Um, any tips on how you can do that? Long-term views, yeah. Thank you. That's um, that's very good. Okay, one or two more. Yes. 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 And um, what action might need to be taken? That's very kind. That's very good. Thank you. Okay. Wisdom from the back. It's so holy there. It's I can tell. I can tell. Okay, anyone else? Yes, last one, thank you. Oh, thank you. Did you hear that? That is worth the price of admission. They may have failed, but they're not a failure. So you're not, you're not defined by, is that right? I don't want to put words into your mouth. Very good. Failing does not equal failure. I, I like that very, very much, very much indeed. Okay, great. Um, would anyone mind if we don't do chapter 13? I think, don't tell Henry, is that, is that, is that all right? I just think it's, um, let, let's, go, let's go to the end. It's a very good book, I, I, I hasten to add. Don't tell Rick, you know, this is a, okay. 
Um, let, let's let, let's finish with 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 how, what kind of things we we might do, and um, I've got one or two suggestions as as well. Um, there is there's an ancient spiritual practice called the examine. Has anyone heard of the examine? It's um, I I was reading about this the other day, and uh, this was um, a very holy. Um, Anglo-Catholic priest who's a friend. He's really holy. If anyone knows how to pray, it's him. And he was, he was talking about the spiritual disciplines generally, about praying, reading the Bible, taking Holy Communion, coming to, coming to church, worship, all, all, the, all these things. And then he couldn't, I couldn't, he couldn't knock me down with a, a feather. He said, my advice though is if you do one thing, just, just one thing, do the examine. That will change your life. And I just wonder when it comes to kind of reflecting on our past failures, whether this could be absolutely life-changing. And the examine is, um, it, there are various ways of, of doing it, but uh, in my simple kind of way, I think I would recommend this. At the, either the end of the day or the beginning of the day, whichever works best, best for you, though obviously there are arguments for the, for the end of the day, just get, get quiet, be, be on your own, and just, just think through the day that has gone. Think through the day. And, uh, and part of the essence of this is, is not to do so with, en with any sense of condemning yourself. You're, you're just observing yourself. You're just, just looking, almost like you're a documentary. What happened? What happened? And you've got just basically two very simple questions in your mind. What brought me closer to God? And what took me further away from God? And just look at your, look at your day. And um, how much time have you, you got? what is comfortable for you, but I think some people take up to about 20 minutes, so you can really, really get into it. Or some of us who are sort of spiritual lightweights, we just do a couple, couple of minutes. Um, I commend, commend that to you. Um, that, that has a, an organizational equivalent as well. Um, I would really hope that we in the church are better at learning from our past failures than, than anyone else, uh, because we follow Jesus who says, I am the truth, uh, because repentance, turning away from things which you know are wrong, is fundamental to, to our response to the gospel. And because it, if the church is the place of hope, and it is, isn't it? If the church is a place of hope for our society, our neighborhoods, uh, those who do not yet come, then, then we need to model that this is how, this is how you, you do it. Um, and obviously there are some very serious things around at the moment in the life of the church where we just have to say we have failed and we failed badly and we need to learn from that. Um, so this is, um, this is, oh gosh, what's his name? This comes from a man called Osman. And uh, Osman has, a, I think he's an American academic and theologian, and he has uh, adapted something called the pastoral cycle. You may, you may have come across. And, the, and he, he says, um, start with experience. What happened? This, uh, this is your point, someone, someone's point. What, what happened? And, and you know, really, really what happened? Not just the abbreviated version, but, but what, what did actually go on? Who said what? Let's get this absolutely, truthfully, accurately, as much as we can be objectively. What happened? What really happened? And then from that, you go around to, now let's think, why did this happen? This is your triggers point. Why do you think this happened? What, 
what led to this? Um, was it something in you? Was it something in me? Was it something in the atmosphere? Were you tired? What, what happened? What, not just what happened, but why? Let's go, let's go deeper with, with this. And then this top one is um, what should have happened? What should have happened? And again, there's no sense of kind of, there's a big finger from the sky, this should have happened. Uh, but rather, what, what should have happened? And, um, and this, uh, this is because we're all theologians. I do hope you know in this room, every one of us is a theologian uh, because we think about God. All of us think about God. That's what a theologian is and does. So this is where we, we learn from, from the scriptures, isn't it? This is, this is where we learn from, this is what Jacob did. This is what Hosea is doing. He says, you're, you're lying. Why are you lying? Um, because maybe because you're afraid. That's why you're double dealing with Assyria and Egypt. What should have happened? Well, look at what Jacob did. So this is where we bring in our theological resources. This is where we're praying and hoping to hear from God. This is where we're reading the Bible. This is where we're learning. Um, this as well, uh, just as an aside, it's why it's worth reading a lot of the Bible so that we have the sweep of the scripture just to know the stories. So we know the story of Jacob, and we can learn from that. We know the story of David. We can learn from that. We know David, and so on and so on. Uh, and then, then we move from that to, well, well, how should we respond? What, what should come about? Uh, and this is someone's point, your, your point, um, action. Now, if we're going to learn from our failures, that probably means that we have to do something and to do something different. Um, what, what are we going to do? There may need to be a plan. We need to, may need to say to someone, help me, please, with this, with this plan. Keep me accountable. Um, I hope you have friends that you trust. Um, sensible, wise friends. Not just anyone, person you sit next to on the bus, but someone who, who loves you and is wise and that, that you, can, you can trust. Um, and then, of course, the thing goes around again. You know, what, what happened? You know, what, what difference has this made in some kind of way? And I wonder if this will help us really learn from our past failures. Uh, we, can, we can gain experience, and hopefully it won't happen again. Now, r real life isn't like this, is it? It's, it's much more complicated. There are, there are so many other factors. There are different people involved. And uh, so you, you have to kind of, don't get tied up in that. Thing. Oh, am I in stage one or stage three? And what's the difference between stage two and four and all that kind of stuff? Um, but I hope, I hope that's a useful framework. The examine will help us learn personally. Uh, and maybe something like this will help us learn as a church. Uh, in our small group, if there are things that we could we could learn from along the way. Okay, let's draw this all all together. Um, you're so lovely. You laugh at my jokes. <laughs> my children don't laugh at my jokes. I don't understand why that that should be. Uh, drawing drawing it together, um, a new start. Here's here's something from Rick Warren, who's an American pastor. He says we are products of our past but we don't have to be prisoners of it. Isn't that lovely? You know, we, we can't change the past. We can't. But we don't have to be defined by it. You're this brilliant lady here. Someone may fail, but that doesn't mean we're failures. And we all tend to read off from our experience, don't we? Just say, well, I did this, so I'm defined by that. Um, actually, dear friends, if you're a Christian here today, and I think one or two of you might be, 
Uh, and if you're not, it's marvelous that you are here. Welcome. It's lovely, lovely, lovely to have you. Um, this is what we call the gospel message, that a new start is possible. You really can start again. You can put the past behind you and move on and be free from it. It's fundamental to what we believe. The good news is that we repent and we believe. It's as we bring our knowledge of God in Jesus Christ to bear on our past that we are freed through forgiveness into the future that we have. Do I hear an alleluia in the room? I <laughs> um, so a new start is, is possible. Um, something we, d we didn't cover was that there's a real emphasis in chapters 12 and 13 on hearing the prophets. So, so God, slightly randomly actually, it says in, in verse 10 of chapter 12, I spoke to the prophets, gave them many visions and told parables through them. Now this is slightly in the context of you keep lying. God is saying, I don't lie, I tell you the truth. But we can hear within that a wider context, and I love what Adrian said. How marvelous. God is always speaking to us. God is always saying something to us. So particularly when we're, I, I don't know if this ever happens to you, when you feel kind of stuck, when you feel trapped, when the, those patterns of thinking are in your mind, when you think, when you just can't shake that sense of, I did this dreadful thing. You wake up at three in the morning thinking, oh, no, why did, why did I do that? Uh, there's something hugely powerful about hearing the word of God into that because the words of God are different from human words. They're powerful. They have the ability to reshape, to recreate something wonderful and, and new. Um, that's why, again, the Bible is so important. Um, I, I heard uh, a man called Bill Johnson, another American pastor. I do know some people who aren't American pastors, I promise. <laughs> but it's really interesting. He says in, in really difficult times for him, he will just read the Psalms. And he'll just start wherever he is, and he'll read a Psalm, and he'll read a Psalm, until he feels that God is really speaking to him through this Psalm. So he may have to read several Psalms. So not that the Psalms are bad, but it's as if somehow the Spirit of God alights on a Psalm and says, this is what I'm saying to you. And that, that's a lovely, sweet and beautiful moment when you think, you open the Bible and you think, God is speaking to me. And we know that this book is, is different from other books. It's a holy book. It's a living book. It's speaking, speaking to us. Uh, some people use the Psalms. So you might like just to read a gospel. Are we allowed to have a favorite gospel? If, if we are, go and read your favorite gospel. Just read it and read it and read it till it gets into you and shapes you, till, till it's as if Jesus himself gets up off the page and walks into the room and he's there. Just, or you might like just to go to a favorite incident, just dwell on it, just, just think about it, meditate on it. Imagine you're there, imagine what that might have been like. And what you're trying to do is sort of break the pattern of negative thoughts and you're, about, you're, you're saying, Jesus, lead me into a place of freedom, into a wider, a wider, a wider space. And the last one I've called um, practicing resurrection. And uh, that's because um, at the end of chapter, two-thirds of the way through chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 14, we just read these words. And there, there's no context to them. What goes before gives us no indication of 
that they're coming. And what happens afterwards gives no indication that there's any logical link with what's gone before. It's as if this verse just comes out of the clear blue sky and it says, I will, this is God speaking, I will deliver them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Where's that come from? This is about how don't fall in alliance with Assyria. Um, stop cheating in your business. Um, your politicians are letting you down. Why did you ever think that they would be different? And in the middle, he says, I'm going to break the power of death over you. Why? Why does that happen? And uh, the only thing I can think of, and um, you, you may recognize those, ver those words, they're quoted by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 in his great chapter on the resurrection. They come right at the end. He says, um, you know, who, the power of the grave is, is broken. So here we are in an 8th century prophecy about politics, and God is dreaming about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think that says to us, whatever our situation, it, it, what, what you said, God's perspective. I really like that. God's perspective is um, you, you've got this issue going on, and I, I take that very seriously because I take you very seriously. Um, I know it's important to you. Um, I know you're struggling with, with this, and I'm with you, I'm with you in it. Can I just tell you that I've broken the power of the grave? Does that give you any sense of perspective about this? Death was not the end. Your, your problem, I know it's a big problem, I know it's a serious problem, but by the way, the resurrection of Jesus has happened. So when we're struggling with past failures, try and bring that into the equation. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Leslie Newbigham's great um, British theologian. There we are, there we are. Uh, he, he once said, someone, I, I'm asked all the time, am I uh, an optimist or am I a pessimist? I answer, I am neither, but Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. How about that? That's pretty good, isn't it? Friends, here we are. That's, that's enough, I think. Um, I found this a very challenging talk to prepare because the more I went on about it, I, I was thinking about all your failures. I thought you'll have lots of failures. And then the more I thought about it, the more I began to think, John, there are things in your life. Actually, there was one specific thing I have to think about really carefully. What went wrong? And things did go wrong. They went badly wrong. Was it my fault? What was down to me? What was down to other people? And uh, I've really wrestled with this and struggled with this. And I tell you that not to draw attention to myself, though I just have, um, but because I know this is a real thing. I know this is a real thing. Um, Sandy again, Sandy Miller, my, my old boss at HTB, he often, in ministry times, he used to say, there's a quoting an ancient, ancient text again, the perseverance of the saints is made up of ever new beginnings. That is worth writing on your fridge. Whenever you think, I have failed so badly, there's no way back. The saints keep going by means of ever new beginnings. That's the gospel word, isn't it? Every day, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Of course I do. I love you. Let's start again. Lovely. Thank you. Shall I, um, this is part of your, your series. I, I think you're looking at the book of Hosea, is that right? I'm so glad you said that, and I, I wasn't completely, completely wrong. 
Um, and I'm going to read a little bit 